This episode of Factitious is brought to you in partnership with Wine52. So how does free wine sound to you? Because that's exactly what the good people at Wine52 are offering Factitious listeners right now. Here is golden fact number one. All you need to do is go to wine52.com forward slash fact. That's the word wine and the numbers 52 dot com forward slash fact and cover the postage cost of just £5.95 and you'll get three bottles of wine delivered right to your door. Golden fact number two, Wine52 showcase only the very best independent winemakers on the planet. Each month they visit an exciting new region like Sicily or Bordeaux and bring back a selection of exceptional wines for their members. Join them and experience a whole new world of wine. You can even customise your case to your taste by choosing from white, red or a mixture of wines. So if you're like me and prefer a crisp cool white to a full bodied red, simply select your preference at checkout. Also included is their magazine Glug and two tasty snacks. Golden fact number three, after your first free case you'll be part of their monthly wine club. There's no minimum commitment, so you can try it and see what you think. And if it's not for you, pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's wine52.com forward slash fact to claim your case today. a podcast which makes you question what you know and almost certainly go away knowing something you didn't know before. I'm Tom Harrison and I'm joined as always by Rob Graham. Hello. As always on Factitious, each week one of us will take on the role of the expert, the teacher, trawling through little known facts about a range of topics, teaching the other using our three golden facts designed to shock, surprise and wow our student and hopefully you at home. Now this week... I've gone inspired from your uh, topic last week of the Amazon rainforest. I said that I was going to be looking at Antarctica, which is about the complete opposite as yep. you can get to the Amazon rainforest. So, as always, I will just start by asking you, perhaps not what you know of Antarctica, <laughs> That's because, quite vast. but what, what do you think of um, with an- Antarctica? It took me a long while to remember which one was Antarctica. Antarctica and which one so like which was north and which was oh, south okay. for ages and it wasn't really until I like I say until I started teaching that's maybe a bit um, exaggerated but remembering which was the North Pole and which was the South Pole and which was Arctic and which was Antarctic it okay. literally until I started then teaching Scott of the Antarctic I was like ah uh, yes yeah, yeah I've got it <laughs> South Pole yeah got it <laughs> um, so I think of it as being very vast. Yeah. I think of it as being somewhere that is less accessible. Out of the two poles, the South Pole is less accessible than the North. Um, and it's more of a feat to reach Antarctica. Like the South Pole, yeah. yeah. Than it is to reach the North Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting, I, you talk about the size there. I told you I've got a few little facts here that it's the fifth largest continent. So you, people might think because you don't really know, so, so much of it is covered in ice, it's hard to kind of think of it as like a landmass. But it's, yeah, the fifth largest continent, 
five point five. What are the two continents that are smaller than it? Australia and uh, South... and Europe. No, I suppose yeah, Europe's smaller than South America, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's bigger than those, but interestingly, so it's it's five point five million square miles or fourteen point two million square kilometers. But it's interesting. How many square miles? Five and a half million. So nearly three times the size of the Amazon rainforest, for those who listened last week. Very good. But what's interesting about Antarctica, of course, is that because of, you know, the nature of being at the the poles, is that it's actually, well, not perhaps technically, but it's a continent that kind of grows and shrinks in size because the way the ice kind of recedes and kind of expands during, um, you know, the summer and winter and stuff. So in winter, thousands of miles of the sea can freeze in just, a matter of days yeah. so it's a, a very strange and you can you can see it if you look at satellite imagery i mean a lot of the antarctica is kind of melting you know over the years i think you pointed that out a few weeks ago something yeah. like the average temperature had risen like an incredible mm. amount uh, but yeah so it's a continent that does um yeah it grows and shrinks it's like um, a boxer doing their weighing isn't it like i've i've, 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 yeah. I've, I've weighed in at 5.5 million square miles and uh i can and now i can just gorge like it doesn't mm. really matter what i weigh after my way <laughs> well yeah exactly and antarctica really does um apparently it almost doubles in size um, i suppose it makes sense yeah but doubling when it's that big already is is pretty impressive yeah exactly anything else you know, you know or think about with antarctica robert falcon scott once traveled there very good Apart from that's that, that's your one golden fact. Is that's it? my <laughs> one golden fact. There's a there's a cool exhibit, or there was a cool exhibit at the Fitzwilliam Museum in um, Cambridge about Robert Falcon Scott. Okay. Apart from that, I know very little about the Antarctica. Okay. I'm quite looking forward to this this episode for you to wow me. Okay. To well, wow me. We're going to jump into golden fact number one, shall we? And golden fact number one is that Antarctica doesn't exist. <laughs> no, Antarctica is well icy. This now, is akin to um, Atlantis not existing. <laughs> now, I know that obviously is very obvious, but naturally it was one of the first places I, I went to, was, yeah. you know, the, the landscape and everything. But the the numbers behind how much ice is on Antarctica are staggering. So I actually did think it was worth discussing because around 99% of Antarctica is covered in ice, which is probably not a surprise. But, and this is probably the main part of the golden fact, really, is that on average, that ice is 1.2 miles thick. That's insane. Or 1.9 kilometres thick. And there are some areas where the ice is three miles thick. It's just an absurd amount of ice. Because I was going to ask earlier on, surely if the temperatures are anything more than, like, four or five degrees at the most mm. then surely that the ice would melt pretty quickly but actually if it's three miles deep well that's very much like inland because as, as i mentioned the coast kind of grows and yeah. then shrinks like every summer and, and winter three miles it's just an unbelievable like I think amount it's three miles from your house to my house <laughs> like yeah that's when i think about that distance that's how thick in the center the ice is yeah it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously, there's a lot under all of that. And in only 2017, scientists discovered, hang on a minute, there are 91 volcanoes under some of this ice. So it is thick enough to cover mountains and things. So what happens if one of those volcanoes erupts? Well, 
you have a big problem. So that those 91 volcanoes took the total to 138. And as I mentioned, this is, you know, going up by, you know, more than quadrupling. Mm. It's a big problem because if those volcanoes go off, a lot of that ice is going to melt. And so I decided to look into, like, what happens if all the ice on Antarctica melted and the results are astonishing, really. So we'll go by continent. In North America, the entire Atlantic seaboard would just vanish along with Florida, the entire state of Florida just vanishes. Which And Florida has a population of over 20 million. And so the Gulf Coast also kind of, like, either... I'm not sure if it goes entirely, but, like, hugely like, swallowed up by the sea. In California, places like San Francisco's hills, like fam- those famous hills wow. just become these tiny little islands that you might be able to stand on. Um, and this is because... 70% of the world's freshwater reserves are frozen in Antarctica. And so if all of those melt, global sea levels would rise by about 60 metres or 200 feet. So that's where you get, you swallow an entire state. And it is just catastrophic, the damage. And 60 metres at a world level. Yeah, at world level. So the damage is... I'm just going to rattle off all of these places that essentially vanish or... You know the territory recedes massively, so we've well, gone anywhere that's flat, presumably. Es- essentially, so we're not too great here yeah. in the east of England. So we've done North America to South America. You mentioned last week you talked about the Amazon basin. So the Amazon basin in the north and the Paraguayan river basin in the south would become these little Atlantic inlets. So it wipes out places like Buenos Aires, um, the coast of Uruguay, most of Paraguay, and so you get just you know, mountain ranges are kind of like the few places that kind of survive, really. Um, and you'd get sort of some of the Caribbean coast and Central America quite mountainous. Like those places don't do okay, considering. But yeah, huge places like Buenos Aires, like millions of people is just gone. Closer to home, or at least for us, so Europe. Hang on, you said this episode was going to be more cheery. <laughs> I know. I'll get a little bit more like I've thought I hit him with the hard stuff first. Talk about penguins. (laughs) (laughs) But looking at Europe, where we are, this is the one that was quite frightening, mainly because we live here. (laughs) So the Netherlands, population of 18 million. They are just gone. The entire country is just swallowed by the sea. Denmark, population of 6 million, is basically gone as well. There might be little bits of it that kind of managed to survive. And then eastern and southern England would suffer greatly. So London. Oh yeah, Wisbeach in March. <laughs> They're just obliterated. <laughs> no Shout one outside to... of Peterborough is going to know what you're on about, Wisbeach in March. They're very flat places <laughs> near Peterborough. That's all you need to know. Oh dear. So yeah, so London is lost, about 9 million people. Um, in northern Germany. All of London. Uh, I, th- I think so. If I, I mean, cling to the top of the shark, yes, it might maybe, be all right. You might be all right, yeah. But the, I mean, it's all kind of estimates. But northern Germany and northern Italy would also suffer greatly. Cities like Venice would just essentially be swallowed by the sea as well. I mean, they're, they're nearly there already, yeah. but, but those canals are basically gone. Moving over to Africa, so the, it's the west coast of Africa that suffers most. So Senegal is lost, and then all along the northern coast is heavily impacted. So cities like Tripoli. Um, which is the capital of Libya, 
um, are also at risk of disappearing. Does the Sahara not just like soak up a lot of the water? <laughs> Maybe get a lot of the sand from yeah. the Sahara, a lot of sandbags yeah. needed, definitely. Um, and then I find it like a chunk of like northern Egypt is also lost. Um, so a part of that is kind of cut off. Um, and so it essentially kind of like a sea is created. Okay. Um, so it kind of like disconnects like parts of Egypt. So there's like a tiny little land corridor that kind of connects a part of what yeah. is northern Egypt. So 60 metres at a world, at, across the l- entire planet, is just mind-bogglingly yeah. big. Like it's when we were talking about the apocalypse stuff a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the depth if um, Yellowstone... Yeah, um, berries in ash. Yeah. It's just the depth of the ash. Like this is similar, but on a completely global scale. Like mm. it's just places it just gone. Incredible. So we've done Africa. So we've got Asia next. So northwestern India is greatly impacted. Great city of Mumbai is at huge risk. Um, while in the northeast, city of Calcutta is entirely lost. And those two cities have a combined population of eighteen million. So that's just all of those people's homes gone. Uh, but it's not just India. China's northeastern region is devastated. Shanghai, completely swallowed by the sea, they predict. Beijing and Hong Kong would be at huge risk as well. And those three cities have a combined population of 55 million people. And then, of course, there are lots of towns and cities between those locations as well. Um, we need and to build then, some big old arcs. Yeah, we? we certainly do. Yeah, just like that film. 2012. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and then also you think of like Southeast Asia, like countries like Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, just made up of thousands of tiny yeah. islands and essentially they're just all gone as well. And then finally, Australia. Um, interestingly, so I was looking at it, at the, they have this like graphic on a map and at first glance, Australia actually doesn't look like it suffers too badly. But interestingly, a new sort of like inland sea forms because of just like i guess the hills and valleys or whatever so it floods what was once a desert um but there doesn't seem to appear to be much of the coastline doesn't seem to be like hugely lost um which is quite important for Mm. australia because a lot of the population are there so um the the coastline of australia is home to about 80 percent of its citizens so actually australia probably fares best from a from a population point of view. yeah exactly so if you're in australia then you're not doing too bad stay where you are yeah. for now at least given they're one of the closer places to antarctica yeah right? strangely enough yeah you're right exactly you think they'd be most at risk but actually yeah. they, they tend to fare okay um but yeah i rattled off a lot of cities there that are gone but they would estimate up to 40 percent of the world's population would lose their homes if all that ice melted going back number two is an interesting one because I want to ask you a question that I kind of wanted to to answer myself was that who do you think owns Antarctica? I'm guessing I feel like I'm going to fall into your trap. I feel like it's presumably like a, a is it like a conglomerate of of countries is it like share is it owned by not by NATO but like an Antarctic treaty of whoa very good you hit the buzzword there is a, such a thing as the antarctic treaty yeah so i guess like the usa have a bit russia have a bit interestingly the usa don't have a bit oh but i'll answer so the, the answer they've the question... got they've, they've got alaska Canada. <laughs> they don't need any more cold bits well it's interesting really because the answer to who owns antarctica 
kind of depends on who you ask, because there are a load of countries who have claims to territory, but none of the other countries recognise those claims as legitimate. So that while there are loads of people going, yeah, we own this bit of Antarctica, no one really does, because no one else kind of... We don't believe each other, as it were. Yeah. So we have all these countries staking their claims for at least a part of the continent, but basically nobody owns it. But the countries who do at least stake a claim, Argentina, close by, Australia, also quite close by. by. South Africa? Uh, No, interestingly. Uh, Brazil have an unofficial claim, whatever that means. Uh, Chile, also quite close. France, and then you get some of the uh, sort of the European nations. So the United Kingdom, we have a claim as well. Norway. Well, Norway were the first people... Th- I know they were the first people to the North Pole, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, they're, well, if they weren't the first people to the North Pole, that would have been embarrassing. They basically just step over and they're there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Germany have a historic claim, so I think that means that they did claim once, but then went, oh, we're not that bothered anymore. Um, yeah. And as did Japan. Uh, New Zealand also had a, have a claim, an active claim. Um, but yeah, interestingly, the USA, who you, you, you know, you thought that they would, and I think most people would think that they do, um, but they don't. But it, it said that they reserve the right to make a claim in future. So one day they might just turn around and go, oh yeah, we do own this bit after all. It's kind um, of their prerogative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but as I say... Oh, it was a Norwegian. It was a Norwegian that was the first person to reach the South Pole. Oh, very yeah, good. Roald Amundsen. Because he was the person that Robert Falk and Scott was racing against. Sorry, I've interrupted. Oh, with my... so you didn't? You did know earlier. You mentioned him yeah. earlier. So you were right. Very good. So that kind of makes sense. Their flag's still there, presumably. Perhaps. So maybe they just own like the square meterage. <laughs> yeah. Their flag. So yeah, lots of countries kind of at least claim to to, to own part or all of it. Um, but you said Antarctic Treaty, and you were very right, because if I could give you points, I would give you loads <laughs> of points if that was the format. Um, so it is essentially governed um, by, or rather through, the Antarctic Treaty. Um, and this was signed in 1959 by 12 countries who had scientists doing research. Like, they were based there at that time. In 1959, they all kind of got together and said, right, okay essentially putting down some ground rules of yeah. like we're all doing experiments and things here let's decide like how we're going to go about it so um so important provisions then of the antarctic treaty um is that antarctica shall be used for peaceful purposes only so no fighting any wars down there can't imagine it's particularly conducive no. for wars <laughs> no um and then there's a freedom of scientific investigation in Antarctica and cooperation towards that end shall continue so international cooperation for research and things and then scientific observations and results from Antarctica shall be exchanged and made freely available so again kind of a similar thing like if we're all going to be down there for research let's work together yeah especially as it's such like harsh conditions down there but Mentioned that the USA don't actually have a claim at the moment. They were a little bit naughty in 1963 when they launched a nuclear weapon in Antarctica. Of course they did. And initially they tried to deny that they detonated the bomb and claiming um, that it must have been just some sort of natural phenomenon um, before later, I think everyone was like, come on, pull the other one that's got bells on. (laughs) And they went, oh, okay, like, yeah, fair enough, we did do it. Um, But they claimed later... um, 
that they were trying to verify whether high-altitude detonations of nuclear bombs would create a radiation belt in the extreme heights of the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and so this would have technically been within the rules of the Antarctic Treaty because they were detonating it for scientific purposes. Whether you buy into that, yeah, <laughs> debate, and that there were track record might suggest, <laughs> yeah, and some people do believe that actually they were testing, um, they were using the blast um, to test um, like the EMP, so electromagnetic pulse effects, um, so that, that that could then be used. Remember, this is 1963; the Cold War is very much a thing. So some people think they may have been trying to test EMP effects that could then be used against the Soviet Union if it came to it. So yeah, that's kind of how Antarctica, how they run things down there. It's very much by committee, but the rules are kind of a little bit, oh, let's all work together, but they're all kind of staking their own claims, but no one kind of recognises each other. I wonder if you were going to tell me that we had like a minister for the South Pole or something. (laughs) Imagine, president, yeah. Like you slowly get demoted from the cabinet. (laughs) So you're just like, hang on, you were minister for like transport last week. (laughs) You're minister for the South Pole? Okay, yeah. (laughs) Minister for Transport in Antarctica is a very tough gig, yeah. I imagine. No Matt, roads. <laughs> Matt Hancock has just been demoted so far that he's now like... Hang on. Oh dear. I've, I've got to go where? <laughs> so that brings us to golden fact number three, then. We're going to get towards the end of the show. Um, and that is that all those governments, why would you think that they might be interested in doing all of this research in Antarctica? I'm guessing it's not for humanitarian reasons. I'm guessing there might be slightly... There's got to be some sort of self-serving reason. It's not as perhaps... I'm sort of getting a vibe that you're thinking it might be something quite sinister. No, not necessarily sinister, but I'm thinking along the lines of what we talked about with the Amazon rainforest last week, where I'm not suggesting they're mining for gold in Antarctica, but I'm wondering whether there's something that... It can't be as altruistic as saving the planet. Um, perhaps somewhere in the middle. Perhaps. Okay. So it's very much a scientific reason, and the reason is that, or one of the reasons, rather, the one that I picked out because it was interesting, is that essentially that Antarctica is kind of the closest thing we have to another planet, and so it's very okay. useful for kind of testing conditions and things. And a lot of people, especially in more recent years, talk about Mars a lot. And so I pulled up some NASA data on the conditions of Mars, as we know, a very rocky planet, but also a very chilly planet. Um, and so some of the average temperatures, um, this is these were taken from late March. So the, the high temperature is kind of around freezing, like anywhere between like plus one to like minus five. But then the low is about sort of anywhere between sort of minus 65, like minus 70, which is very much in the territories for Antarctica. Um, so it's very useful. You, you have a kind of a direct comparison, uh, perhaps not direct, but a very you know similar conditions to be working with. So it's very very useful. It's also a very good for, for in terms of NASA. I was saying that's where I got the data from. It's also a very good place to find meteorites or other debris that kind of falls from space. Um, so scientists find meteorites in Antarctica more than any other place in the world. How frequently is that? Um, I believe it was perhaps not full meteorites, but I think I can't, I'm ashamed I didn't get the exact figure, but I think it's like thousands of like pieces of rock or whatever, debris 
every year okay. kind of scatter. I didn't know if it was going to be one of those things. They find it more than any other place on the planet, but it's still like once every <laughs> 80 years. No, no, meteorites are actually quite, in terms of like very small yes, objects, yeah. they're actually more common than you think. Um, but the reason they find them more often in Antarctica is perhaps quite an obvious one really is that they're just they're easier to see all that white yeah. ice they kind of can see when i'm like a, a rock no matter kind of how large mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that large to kind of notice um so it's also very useful because meteorites that fall in antarctica crash into the ice which is a very um, handy way of pack it yeah it kind of like it's very well preserved yeah. in that ice um so astrobiologists who kind of study the, you know, the idea of life outside of the earth's atmosphere they kind of are really focused on studying asteroids um, and other debris and materials that are found in antarctica Um, and in 1984 a meteorite from mars was found in antarctica and the markings on that meteorite were similar to markings left by bacteria on earth so it kind of hints that perhaps this meteorite although millions of years old could actually have the remains of Martian bacteria, which would then go on to suggest that, you know, it's so far kind of one of the few, like, it would be the only kind of real hard scientific evidence for life outside of Earth. So it's a very, very valuable place to kind of do research, which is why countries are interested. Um, And so, yeah, NASA also, they kind of send teams to Antarctica to learn more about Mars, as well as the kind of the living conditions there. Um, both places are very dry, like a desert as well. Um, and so NASA like to test robots um, in Antarctica um, that then oh. go on to land on Mars because the conditions are, are very similar. So, yeah, it's a very, very useful place to kind of to do your tests. Um, so NASA use it, but America don't have a claim to it. Yeah, so the USA, it was very... I didn't fully understand it, but it was essentially that they have the right to make a claim... But they haven't. I mean, there's a very international approach for, like, the aid of, you know, scientific discovery and things. But, yeah, essentially, there don't really seem to be many rules, to be honest. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating place. Um, Sticking with the space theme, I did want to bring up one final thing. Um, Because we're talking about potential alien life and things. Of course, that then drives a lot of conspiracy theories. And there was one U.S. naval officer who claimed that there's an alien base, of course, in Antarctica. So I thought I'd give him his his five seconds in the in the sunlight on our podcast. Don't talk about sunlight, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, there's 59 year old um, naval officer who was, he was well former naval officer. He'd retired uh, with 20 years service. Was part of a squadron called the Antarctic Development Squadron Six. Uh, he claimed to have been part of a crew that flew through a no-fly zone above Antarctica, and he claims that he saw UFOs, aliens, and a giant entrance hole to an alien base. No, he didn't. <laughs> he said he was stationed there between 1983 and 1997, um, and then, yeah, he said that on several occasions he saw aerial silver discs flying over the Transantarctic mountains, and he claimed that there was a top secret collaboration between humans and aliens, and Antarctica was a major research ground for the projects between them. Take that with a pinch or a vat of salt, yes. <laughs> but it's always fun to uh, to throw in a conspiracy theory here or there. Um, 
but that this large hole was said to be about five to ten miles from the South Pole in a, um, a sort of a designated no-fly zone. Um, and he said that groups of scientists had gone missing for a week, and they'd come back terrified and refusing to speak about their experiences. Um, and then at a camp near Mary Bird, um, some dozen scientists disappeared for two weeks. And when they reappeared, Brian's flight crew got the assignment to pick them up. And he said that they would not talk and their faces looked scared. Do you think they were really cold? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, yeah, essentially a giant alien base near the South Pole. And apparently, presumably, the President of the United States and other world leaders perhaps know about this. Uh, but it's all OK. Don't worry about it. Can we make sure that when we do... <laughs> When we do C, that we don't do conspiracies as our C. <laughs> <laughs> we would lose days to conspiracies, but it's always fun to highlight one or two. I always knew, as soon as I, I found the, um, started making the comparisons to Mars, I thought, oh, hang on, there's got to be yep. UFOs over Antarctica, and sure enough, one Google search brought me uh, to Brian. So, Antarctica. Vast. Fast, unforgiving, and hostile, icy. and yeah, most important. If you take anything away from this <laughs> podcast, is that I- Antarctica is well icy. It is well icy. <laughs> Three miles deep Three is um... miles. How deep is the sea? Like at the deep. I suppose like with the Mariana Trench is like seven miles deep. Yes. Yeah. So much deeper than that. Yeah. But it's still. But even so, proportionally. Yeah. I mean, you're talking mountains and volcanoes are buried under this ice. I mean, imagine they discovered 91 volcanoes one day and just thought, oh, what's that? <laughs> uh, imagine that, just discovering that sort of landmass. It's, it's incredible. And yeah, it is essentially, as I say, the closest thing we've got to another world. And last week you were talking on Amazon, you know, undiscovered mm. territories or like uncharted territories. Can you imagine if we just found people just living in, in Antarctica that imagine. were just... Natives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite incredible. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating place, I'm sure... You know, over time, we'll find out more and more about it. Hopefully not by melting the entire thing, because yeah. that brings a world of hurt. But, um, yeah, it's definitely not... Um, although there's a lot of ice, it's not just ice. <laughs> it's a lot more than ice. <laughs> cool. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, then. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the same handle, at factitiouspod. On Facebook, you can just search for Factitious Podcast. Um, and on email, it's factitiouspodcast at gmail.com. So any questions, thoughts, whatever, do get in touch with us um, through those channels. Um, if you like this episode um, and the others that we've done so far, we'd really appreciate reviews on things like um, Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify. Um, and another way of helping is through our Patreon it is indeed here is where I come to shine. <laughs> so we have three different tiers. We have the £5 Clever Clogs tier. That's £5. For that, you get early access to the podcast. So you get the podcast on a Wednesday instead of a Saturday. You get a shout out on the podcast and the podcast ad free. For £10, which is our know-it-alls tier, you get all of those benefits and you also get access to Factitious Plus, which is a bit of bonus content for you. So the stuff that hasn't quite made it into the main episode. And 
if that doesn't do quite enough for you, there is a £15 tier, which is our genius tier, and you get all of those benefits, and then you get a weekly shout-out on the podcast, and we teased it last week, but we are going to throw in a little extra for the £15 geniuses. Yeah, so as I think Rob mentioned last week, we got to a point where we were recording a lot of these episodes that have been released so far before we'd, you know, actually sort of, you know, the podcast had been released. So you were listening to things that had been recorded, you know, weeks or months ago. So we'd got up to Apocalypse, hadn't we, recording before we released Adam and Eve. Exactly, yeah. So now that we're at a point where we're recording as things are kind of going live, we kind of want to get our listeners involved a little bit more. And so with our Genius tier, we'll be taking um, suggestions for topics um, and we'll also, you know, genius members will be able to kind of put questions to us we'll we'll get in touch we'll do it through patreon um so we'll we'll announce what the topic is going to be for future episodes and then if there are certain things that you want us to you know dig into about that topic or if you just want to ask us to you know find out the you know the weirdest or the funniest thing about so and so somebody having a piano dropped on them yeah that was that was mine so um yeah if you want to kind of get involved that way and kind of help kind of shape the show a little bit um then the genius tier um is is going to be the one for you but yeah so uh shout out to mike kavanagh rob craig sarah mcdaniel and Stuart hill our geniuses get your suggestions in get your questions in of what you maybe want us to discuss on those ones and if you want to sign up for that geniuses tier then you can head over to uh patron tom will leave a link in the description below for you to find that yes i will so before we wrap up do you want to hint tease the you want to announce the the subject that you're going to be covering next week i've gone for a, a concept this week or next week rather than a i've gone for i've done amazon i've done the atlantis i've done assassinations i suppose was a bit of a concept so next week i'm going for ancestry ancestry now that's a very fascinating one and very broad yeah so i'm looking forward to doing a bit of research on that i i hope i i do it justice because it's a vast vast Mm. topic as as all of these have been so far i feel like we're saying the same thing each week where we're going oh there's a lot to cover and there is absolutely a lot to cover but it's 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 a lot of fun it's a lot of fun doing these Definite. And we already started. We did Adam and Eve, so that's kind of one part kind of ticked off. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of explore other avenues, I guess. Absolutely. So Ancestry, and then we've got yours coming up, and we're slowly rattling. Can you slowly rattle? <laughs> we're, we're slowly... We'll be entering sort of the second half yeah. of our series. Yeah, our first series, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, after you have covered... Um, Ancestry, I will be taking a look at Alcatraz. Very nice, another so, place. Yeah, um, so very, very famous. So I'll be yeah trying to dig into some of the stories from a, a very, very, probably the, the world's kind of fa- uh, most famous prison, I guess. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for those. If you're one of our Genius Tier members, get in touch about, um, you know, things. We'll, we'll get in touch with you, actually, about things you might want to kind of see included in those episodes. Um and yeah, I look forward to, to next week to learn all about ancestry. Very much so. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. I don't know why I'm doing the um, <laughs> doing the outro because it's Tom's episode. But thank you very much for your fascinating facts, Tom. You're very welcome. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.